Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the One Link Podcast. I'm Brad, and I'm joined by my co-host, James. How are things going, James? Things are great, Brad. How about you? How are things in your neck of the woods? Doing well. We're kind of all recovering from team leader training. Had a good weekend. And now yes. we're we're moving forward into the uh, the California, the Kansas, the North Carolina, all the trainings coming up here. But as we're doing that, we're going to keep talking about God's heart for the nations in the Bible. Yes. And of course, we are joined by our good friend and co-worker, Peter. How you doing, Peter? Hey, I'm doing pretty well this morning, Brad. It's great to be back with y'all. Good to have you. Good yep. to have you. You're always dressed. It just always looks warmer there down in Florida. So <laughs> we're jealous. But then by summertime, maybe you'll be jealous of us. Yeah. That's probably not true because it, it's hot it, here it too. Gets, <laughs> yeah, it gets hot in both places summertime. So this is a good time to be in Florida. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I need to plan a summer, uh, winter visit there. I'm sure you need some help in the wintertime. Yeah, we are always accepting of more. Come on down. <laughs> Well, guys, we left off last time. Uh, we were just sort of on the the cusp of starting to talk about Abraham and his descendants, of course, the Israelites. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of jumping into Genesis 12. Peter, any any um, just recapping of how did we get here and, and some things that will be important context for understanding Genesis 12? Yeah, so, you know, if you listen to our last week's cast, or I don't know if it got put out last week or the last in this series. Um, yeah, when, then, all these, uh, when all these come out, it'll make all our stuff about what we're doing right now semi-irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, anyway. fair enough. I'd recommend you go back and listen to it if you haven't gotten the chance to yet. But last week we talked about Genesis 1 to 11, really the creation of the world and the creation of the nation. So, if we say, why does God have a heart for the nations? If we want to seek the answer to that question, we have to know what are people and how did the nations come to be? So we looked at creation, Adam and Eve and the fall and the curse of sin that God put on humanity and the eventual you know, moment where they all come together after Noah and they, they build this tower of Babel. And God says, no, that's, that's enough. Uh, for your own sake, for your own well-being, I'm going to scatter you all around the world and confuse your language because uh, you really are sinful and prideful and selfish. And yeah, it's, it's becoming a real problem. So we pick it up in Genesis chapter 12 with that having been the immediate thing that we just came from. So among one of these nations is this guy named Abram, and he's in this place called Ur, uh, modern day Mesopotamia. And uh, I'll go ahead and just read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and that'll get our discussion going for the morning. So the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So just to start this conversation, you know, most biblical scholars consider this to be perhaps one of the most momentous moments in the entire Old Testament where God shows up and deals with, with Abram and gives him this challenge, this command, this promise with conditions. What do you make of this? Yeah, it's kind of like what we what we did last week showed us the problem. I mean, it showed us creation, which is obviously 
critical to the story but then then sin comes in and sort of shows us that problem and the consequences of that when the fall of man and the the flood narrative and even the tower of babel this is all kind of showing how humanity has strayed and so now it's kind of like the rescue plan is is coming into to uh the story and so god's going to begin working with this this one man and his family and from it a nation and from that the savior so it's it's sort of the beginning of that plan unfolding very clearly yeah uh, steal your thunder james you got anything to add to that no i just I'm going to ask you guys why you think it said like all the families of the earth as opposed to like all the nations of the earth. Literary style. I, I don't know. I don't have any <laughs> insight in that. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I'm, I'm no scholar. I'm underqualified to be here, but if I had to take a stab at it, I'd say, you know, at this point in history, you know, we're only maybe five or 10 generations past Noah, past the flood. So, the world is really still in a rebuilding stage and you can trace mm -hmm. the lineage of Abram, you know, right there at the end of Genesis 11. So I think at this point, the idea of nations is kind of a foreign concept to humanity. I think mm -hmm. families or family units, larger family units is probably a, a little bit more relatable, understandable for Abram okay. because later it's a little bit of foreshadowing, but when God, actually enacts this covenant not just promises but actually goes through with it in genesis 22 he uses the word for nations and this is just a little bit later in the same narrative so i don't mm -hmm. think we're meant to trip up on the language but i think it is you know worth pointing out mm -hmm. we'll get some hebrew scholar in for our next one james put, <laughs> put you at ease here i was just going to assign peter <laughs> to become a hebrew scholar and there you go <laughs> you can work that in in your seminary work peter yeah, we'll, we'll see if I get to it one of these days. So this is a, a covenant, a contract in modern English. And so this contract, it's always useful to know what are the parties, what are the conditions, and what are the promises. So just to, to break it down in the most simplest terms, God brings this up to Abram. And the condition of the contract is that Abram would go. Specifically, that he would go to a land I will show you. And before we say anything more, I think it's important for us to recognize Abraham, well, who's becoming Abraham, Abram at this point, he has a lot of faith, right? It seems for us in, you know, New Testament, post-Jesus times here that it's really easy to just read through Genesis linearly and see like, oh, well, of course, Abram is going to get up and go. Look at all these things that have come from it. But Abram, he didn't know Isaac yet. He didn't know Jacob yet. For all he knew, you know, he was just going to get up and go and, and that was going to be that. So uh, do you have any comments on just the, the faith of Abram in this moment to go to a land I will show you? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Peter. And we see this, what you're saying about uh, Abram's faith being the, the crucial thing here. You know, Paul affirms that we see uh, the Hebrews mentions him and, and his faith in the the sort of Hebrews Hall of Fame, chapter eleven, and so uh, really this is we we often can get tripped up of well, Old Testament is all about just following the law and following rules and so on and so forth, and there's some truth to that. Their their obedience is certainly a big part of faith, right? So the two aren't separated, but uh, yes, this is 
I mean, this, you know, probably idol worshiper living in modern day Iraq gets this call to go off to some other land with this big promise. You know, it, it's a step of faith. Yeah. So I Do think we, we can really commend him for that. Yeah. Do we know that he was an idol worshiper at this point in time or? I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but that, 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 uh, area would have been worshiping idols and so i don't think there's any any explicit conversation about his idol worshiping but um you know certainly those around him his community that would have been a big part of it yeah that certainly would have been i just had always assumed that he was a faithful follower of yahweh because god partly because god chose him Mm -hmm. i think about in terms of just like travel to a land you don't know you know it was travel was not necessarily safe for thousands of years after that you know and to be out in a in a caravan you know is a dangerous predicament and you're easier prey for bandits and and then you're going into another group of pe- you're leaving the group of people in which you have safety and you're going to a group of people in which you'll be the minority you won't be safe so it really does take it does take a lot of acts of faith and it makes me think a little bit about our brothers and sisters in that part of the world today that when they when they make the step and follow christ it's in some ways they're leaving their family um, and they're leaving that nest of protection in order to follow christ and kind of following in abraham's footsteps spiritually if not physically and so peter we've got here's uh, abram he obeys he goes travels to the promised land and then everything's all great and you know the plan all unfolds very clearly and all that right (laughs) we got a few bumps along the way here's some faith tests like uh his you know can they have a can they have a child that's going to be important to become a great nation and you know this sort of sacrificing of isaac that we read about and all sorts of misadventures and and also faith in there so how does this how does this plan begin to unfold out of Abram's life? Yeah, well, in, in Genesis 15, we won't read it for sake of time. Abram starts asking these questions of God, like, how how am I going to know that what you've promised me is actually going to come? And God gives Abram a dream where he enacts this covenant with him. He symbolically passes through these sacrifices and we'll pick it back up actually the narrative in genesis 22 of course we know abram and sarah sarah they take the the plan into their own hands and we have the hagar and ishmael situation which we won't comment much on but isaac comes along as a a direct answer from the promise of god Um, and of course what happens it seems like almost immediately god asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So this big momentous thing that he's been waiting for, this child he's been waiting his whole life for, all of a sudden God even calls that back and says, will you give this to me? Will you trust me with this? So obviously we know, those of us who have read our Genesis, that God provides a ram or a sheep for Abraham to sacrifice in place of Isaac, even though Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And so we'll pick it up in Genesis twenty-two fifteen. This will sound very familiar. This is what God said to Abraham in response to that, that incident. So then the Lord said to the angel, or excuse me, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, the first we already read, and said, by myself, I have sworn, this is 
the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. So to me, there's there's one piece of this that is the most significant piece of this entire statement that God makes to Abraham. And it's actually the very first thing he says. It's, by myself, I have sworn. So the, the, the covenant, actually, the terms and conditions of the contract, if you will, the fine print that we all skip over, it actually changes here, right? Because in, in Genesis chapter 12, the condition was that Abraham would go and he would bless him and he would make his name great. He would bless his people and all the families of the earth would be blessed. Well, the promise is the same here, but the conditions have changed. Here, God says, by myself, I have sworn. He swears on his own faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I've found God to be pretty faithful time and time again. So this is immensely significant as we think about God's heart for the nations and really what happens, what unfolds in the entire rest of the Bible, I think is in light of God making this covenant and swearing on himself. It's no longer contingent upon man's obedience. It's not contingent upon God's faithfulness, which means it's a guaranteed thing to happen. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting. I mean, we, um, of course, our eyes in, in our line of work, our eyes automatically go to verse 18, where he says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. You know, it's, it's very similar to what we see in Genesis 12. And I mean, I think, you know, there's part of me that wants to be careful. People don't think we're sort of cherry picking verses because they have the word nations in it or something like that. I mean, this is just over and over again, right? We'll see this in further reading here in Genesis, throughout the history of the nation of Israel. This is God's clear intent. He is going to work in a way that will bring blessing, ultimately salvation. I think we can uh, infer here to the nations that they would know him. And so this is this is at the very heart of what God is doing in this story of Abraham and others. I also think it's interesting to note that like the very end of verse 18 says, you know, because you have obeyed my voice. And so it's like Abraham's obedience is part of what causes God to swear by himself. Like had Abraham not been obedient, God still would have accomplished his purposes, but it wouldn't have been through Abraham. It would have been through a different way. And sometimes I love the faithfulness of God because it is so reliable and I'm so grateful for his grace when I fail. But I also want to always challenge myself to obey. I want to fear God more than I fear man. I want to fear God more than I fear anything else. And so when God speaks, I want to obey regardless. And, you know, this is two, not even counting all the other things in Abraham's life. Um, these are two really huge asks. You know, first leave your family, then sacrifice your only son. I mean, that's huge. Uh, but Abraham, you know, believed God. And he obeyed it. And that's part of how you know he believed it is he obeyed it. He didn't just uh, sit there with a theoretical knowledge in his head. Uh, he put feet to his faith. So I've got a question for us. So as we read this verse as 21st century Christians, post-Exodus, post-exile, post-Christ, post-early church, we read this and we obviously see Jesus is the answer to this promise. He's 
the seed of Abraham. He's the seed of David. He's the one who's you know fulfilling this promise to be a blessing to all nations. As if you could put yourself in the mind of Abraham when God makes this promise to him, what do you think Abraham thinks God's talking about? And how much of the picture do you think Abraham actually sees? It's certainly not the uh, risen Messiah <laughs> that we that we know of in from the Gospels. So, uh, but I do think he that's the the, sort of the thing about faith and God's plans, right? I think maybe that uh, a great application here is that. God doesn't say, James, Peter, here's everything I'm going to do in your life. Here's all the ways you're going to be a blessing and bless others. Here's what's going to happen 10 years from now. You know, that's that's occasionally God will maybe give us some indication of what he where he's headed, but uh we're we're taking one step of faith at a time. And so I think this sort of progressive revelation that Abraham is receiving of okay, there's something about you're going to bless me. There's going to be this nation to come from me, right? That's That seems to be what they're fairly fixated on here at this point is this nation and his descendants, which is why they're taking things into their own hands and, you know, why sacrificing Isaac is such a big deal. And somehow that's going to bless the world. I think that's about all that Abraham knows at this point, what that will exactly look like. I don't, we don't have any indication that he knows beyond that. Yeah, I can't think of anything. He just knows that his family will grow, his offspring will be more, more numerous, and then somehow, some way, you know, that will be a blessing to the nations. And I would think getting this promise from God, you would have to think that it is going to be accomplished some way in God, like it's going to be our faith in God or our, something about God. So, you know, it's not going to be our character or our personalities or you know, what our family does, but it's going to somehow relate to our faith in God. Yeah, seems to make sense to me. And I think certainly Abraham knew something about that, given that he had just nearly sacrificed his own son. I think he probably understood some aspect of the character of God requires sacrifice because he takes sin seriously, but also that provision would be made somehow. And that provision was going to come from God. And maybe even that that provision would come as a son of God, you know, knowing that somehow prophetically, even though he had no idea what that meant. So, well, we'll, we'll pick it up and continue the story because we know, you know, here Abraham doesn't sacrifice Isaac. God makes this promise to him. He promises that he's going to bless all the nations of the earth through him. And Isaac's kind of a punk. And so is his <laughs> son, Jacob. But uh, if you pick up this story, we'll just read these verses really quickly. God, uh, at this point, he's the main actor. And not that he wasn't before, but he's reminding us time and time again, he's the main actor. And so at this point, he's enacting his plan. And so uh, he makes the same promise to Isaac that he made to, to um, Abraham before. We'll read Genesis 26, 4, uh, which says, again, this will sound familiar. I will make the offspring, make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, my instructions. So we see God reiterating that promise to Isaac. Just two chapters later, we see Jacob and Jacob wrestling with God and he's doing business with God. And Later, God makes the same promise to him. Genesis 28, 14, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north and the south. 
all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. So we see God choosing to use this one man's faith, this man Abraham, and bless his family. And we already see that starting to multiply as Jacob, who obviously becomes Israel, um, he's turned into a mighty nation. So any comments on on Isaac or Jacob before we do a lot of zooming through Genesis now? We're going to make a jump. Well, we we keep seeing two things, right? I mean, there's there is kind of a repetitive nature to this. Uh, we see God's faithfulness and plan to bless all the nations, you know, and well, first, first to create this nation out of uh, Abraham's descendants and and to bless all the nations through that. And we see these flawed, uh, you know, as you, uh, your, your term was punks, but <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> yeah. I'll just say flawed uh, individuals here that God is choosing to use. I mean, that the, the, Genesis 26 verse that you quoted, this is right before Isaac goes and does the exact same thing that Abraham did in saying that his wife was his sister because he was worried about, you know, uh, being killed or something because they want they wanted to take her. So these flawed people, yet God is using them. So I think there's maybe the one uh, application is there's hope for us who want to be involved in God's plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So where does it go That's from here? Word. Yeah, so we'll, we'll zoom because really we could sit in the scripture all day and really just camp out in Genesis. But we've got to keep going. We've got to push. So obviously Jacob becomes Israel and he has a lot of sons. And one of those sons is his favorite, right? His, his little boy, Joseph. And Joseph has, you know, God doing a lot of business with him. He's got a lot of you know, promise and potential, and he has these dreams, and we know this story, right? His brothers don't like that. He gets sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and eventually, uh, there's a famine in the land, and Joseph, you know, we won't go through, through the whole narrative, but uh, definitely worth reading Genesis 37 to 50 sometime again, if you haven't recently, but God really does a lot of work in Joseph's life, because Joseph does two things really well. He trusts God, that he is who he said he was, and he works really hard. And so time and time again, even though the circumstances of life get in the way of, of Joseph and what he's trying to do, um, Joseph just keeps trusting God and, and working hard and working his way up. So because of that, Israel, the man Israel, Jacob, and his brothers come and sometime later move the whole family down into Egypt and from here, we have the movement from a family to a nation. So we're meant to understand when they when they moved to Egypt, there was maybe 70, 100 in the household, you know, including all the servants and the wives and things like that. But now, over the course of the next 400 years, it goes from being just this, this group of, you know, many brothers and their wives to this whole people group. And this is really where we get this vision of God's chosen people. But I, one one verse that I, I just love, and we're passing by it, and so I have to point it out, is just the, the mystery of the plan of God in Genesis 50, 20, helping us to understand how God works in the world, right? So we have this whole narrative of Joseph and his time in Egypt and, you know, in Potiphar's house and in Pharaoh's house and prison and we, we know that what Genesis 50, 20 tells us that what man meant for evil, God intended for good, right? So we see this over and over again, this, 
revelation of God's goodness and justice and salvation being worked out in the lives of people, even in spite of humanity's evilness. And I think that's just a really beautiful picture. And there's a piece of the gospel even there. So we'll fast forward to Egypt because the Exodus is coming soon. But any comments on the life of Joseph or the move down into Egypt? Just an absolutely great story. You went like some of the best stories in the Bible. That's one of them. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but this is in some ways it feels like okay, God has fulfilled this promise to make a great nation, right? But it doesn't. You know, they're an enslaved people in in Egypt, and so it, now that that promise is not finished, right? He's just sort of beginning it by numerically now they've become a great nation and and God's with them and and uh, there's blessing there. But I think it just it goes to show you God's the, the revelation of his plans that it, sometimes it, it's it starts off in a way that you think really this is this is like the nation's being reached or this great thing happening and I, I think we have to have a, a, a different timeline perspective because now we you know obviously we know there's more that happens here in this making of this great nation and of course when the, the coming of the messiah is even the the fulfillment of all that but uh it it, it doesn't look initially like we would think it should be of a forming of a great nation yeah. yeah i think that just you know goes to show this isn't some ethnocentric you know move of god where he exalts Israel above every other people group and, you know, to their neglect. I think it just shows that the plan of God is to use one family that becomes one people to reach all the other people. And I think we see that even just in the inception of the nation of Israel, they're enslaved. It's not like, you know, they're ruling over Egypt or anything like that, but there's all these promises made that one day there's going to be someone who comes from this nation who blesses all the nations of the earth. And, and that's and that's Jesus. That's the gospel. So we'll pick up the story with the little baby Moses. So sometime, uh, maybe 400 years sometime, uh, God's people are in slavery in Egypt and they've grown to be a huge number. They've grown to be that, that mighty nation numerically that God had promised to Abraham. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to note too, Abraham even knew that this was going to play out this way. He told him and God told Abraham in Genesis 15 that the nation is going to be enslaved for around 400 years, but I'm going to provide that deliverance. So we even see the, the Exodus prophesied to Abraham. But God reveals himself to Moses as I am that I am, or I am who I am. He gives, he gives Moses his name, I, the great I am. And so Moses has this moment with God where God tells him, Hey, it's time to get my people and go. We're we're getting out of Egypt. It's time to bring my deliverance and my salvation in a physical sense, in a temporal sense, my salvation. And Moses, of course, isn't so sure about that. What if they don't listen to me? What if they don't trust me? What if Pharaoh doesn't go for it? And so Aaron gets involved. But we'll pick it up in, in the Bible in Exodus chapter six, after Moses has confronted Pharaoh for the first time. So God deals with Moses again, and this is what God tells him. So Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 6, we'll pick it up in verse 2. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So again, we see the faithfulness of God being played out as God reminds Moses, hey, I remember my covenant. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see that theme through, of course, the Old Testament play out that this God who always was and always is and is the most high God is now going to deliver his people for the sake of his own glory, for the sake of his remembering his covenant. Um, And so that really contextualizes the exodus that's about to happen. So any comments on that before we push? 400 years is a long time. (laughs) I know that sounds (laughs) obvious, but think about 400 years ago in America, right? We we didn't even exist as a country. There's early days Mm of, you know, people coming from Europe to colonize. That's a long time ago. And so God's plans are not on our timeline. Sometimes it seems like, okay, when is this going to happen, God? When is this going to happen? But uh, here he is. Now's the moment. It's going to happen when God when God prepares it. And so the the next phase is coming in here. You, you know, I'm also just reminded of what, again, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but the opposition that they're going to come up against with the Egyptians and Pharaoh specifically, the plans of God have enemies. You know, ultimately we have a Satan as the the enemy, but uh, you know, people are going to oppose the plans of God. So we're going to see that. And that's still happening today, as you guys both know, with, with the gospel going forth. Yeah, I think it's also just worth noting, you know, as Americans, we're so much like the power of positive thinking. You can be anything you want to be. You can achieve whatever. But like, no, if, if you were born during this time in Israelites, like you were going to be a slave. And it didn't matter how how hard you worked. It didn't like like sometimes our vision of reality is a little bit warped and uh, it's a little hard for me as an American, especially to understand why God did that, why he chose to have them be slaves for 400 years. And um, I think about, I'm glad that I wasn't born in that time and place. And, but at the same time, like that's God's purpose and they could live out their purpose, fulfilling God's plan as they as they multiplied in Egypt, even under harsh labor and oppression and discrimination and like all those things. And so when we preach, well, I the think gospel, a lot of these things. Oh, go ahead, James. When we Sorry. preach the gospel, we can't preach an American gospel. Is the the clincher at the end? I think some of these dilemmas come about too if we see what we've got here is it. You know, this experience on Earth, this brief little moment that we're here, where we're, you know. Uh, a vapor, so to speak. If this is it, then there's a whole lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to me. But there's a lot of things that you know I can believe in faith because I know this is just the beginning of, of God's eternal mm-hmm. plans. Mm-hmm. And so some of us get more suffering than others in this life. But at the end of the day, I think I don't think people up in heaven are comparing those things. They're just saying, Praise the Lord, you know, he's he's uh he's fulfilled his plans. Yeah, wasn't it Paul that said something like these light and momentary afflictions? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Second Corinthians 4, I believe. Bam. So we know how the 
the story goes, right? So Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't let him go. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't let him go. So these plagues start coming, right? And they get kind of progressively worse all the way to this Passover moment where God has orchestrated it such that he would claim the lives of every firstborn Egyptian but pass over um, his his chosen people, the, the Israelites. And Pharaoh finally says, all right, get out of town, and then changes his mind again, right? And so you have this miraculous delivery through um, parting the sea where Moses leads the people out and you know Aaron they're, they're together holding up his arms and, and uh, it's this great deliverance moment where you know it really I think sets up part of the role of Israel I think the role of Israel is twofold the nation Israel one is to judge the nations that as God judges Israel and keeps Israel as his chosen possession that he uses them to judge the nations that are doing evil around him. And we see God using the Israelites and using really the faith of Moses and his obedience to you know, punish the Egyptians. But we also see that they are to be priests. And uh, we'll read that. So after the Exodus, right before the law is given, God brings Moses and, and the whole nation together at Sinai, and, and they have this moment. So I'll read from uh, Exodus 19, pick it up in verse 5. God says this to Moses, Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you'll be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites, right? So now we're talking about yet another covenant. We're talking about this new covenant, which now for us is the old covenant, the law. And in this episode, we won't expound much on the law, but we see some, some reasoning for the law. The law is so that they would establish Israel, the nation, the people group, as his possession to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So. Really, there's there's two things that stand out to me here that and it really comes back to that idea of being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We see what the role, the second role of Israel is, and that's to be a light to the nations, to be this set apart people who are on one hand being used of God to judge the people, but on another hand, being used of God to proclaim mercy, right? The role of the priest is to bring people to God. They're supposed to be bringing the nations to God. And we see that fulfilled later in the temple and through the prophets. And again, ultimately in the person of Jesus. Um, but it's important, I think, to contextualize the law under this, this understanding that the reason for the law wasn't ever for the sake just of this ethereal holiness and this right living that has no purpose, but it really was meant to be an example for the mercy of God to the entire world. And I think that's pretty cool because when we think about the law, typically we think, oh, all these rules and regulations and ordinances, they're so tough. How could, you know, what's the point? God is so far. But I think that's the point is to understand God is far and yet he desires to be in relationship with us. Yeah, and of course we see the same language in uh, you know First Peter, right? They, where um, Peter is, is telling us the very same thing, sort of as the, as the New Testament church, we've inherited the, this mantle of 
being a kingdom of priests. And I think we see it again in Revelation, that that same language is used. So, you know, as we talk about the gospel going forth to the nations, you know, we're, we often will think strategies and contextualization and all these things. But our role as people who are, you know, a holy people walking in obedience to God, that's, you know, that's the foundation of, of where that begins in terms of God using us is uh, we're his people and we walk with him and obey him. And, and out of that, we go forth and, and share the gospel. Yeah. James, you look like you're deep in thought here. What you got? I'm just nothing. I'm, I'm just basking in the wisdom of you. <laughs> Thank you for basking in us. We, we feel honored. I, th- I think it's just really, I don't want to say poetic because that sounds a little bit pithy and, and shallow, but I think it's really exemplary of the state of humanity that, you know, God is doing this business with Moses and revealing this to him while he's up on Mount Sinai. And Israel gets it right for about 15 minutes. <laughs> and when Moses comes back down the mountain, they've built this calf with the oversight of Aaron and they're being idolatrous and, and they're worshiping it. And so, you know, I just imagine in my head, I don't know if this is in the Bible, but in my head, I imagine this moment where Moses in frustration just breaks the 10 commandments over his knee, just absolutely, you know, smashes them and is just so frustrated with his people. And we see that too, as a pattern of human behavior that plays out through the Old Testament and even into our own lives as these who have this high calling, this high standard to be missional, to be holy, and yet we just fail (laughs) over and over again. But it goes back, I think, to what you were saying earlier, Brad, where I think it gives us hope that God is executing his plan in the world, which we know is to be a light to all people, to provide salvation to all people. He's executing that using flawed people. And that's, that's his plan A, and there is no plan B. And we see that through Israel, that Israel is deeply flawed. And we see that even into the Old Testament and our own lives as we consider what it looks like for us, as you said in First Peter, for us to take up that mantle and move forward, knowing that we are flawed, but God is going to accomplish his purpose, and he desires to use us as he does it. I think yeah, amen. that does testify so much back to the point of like God uh, swearing by himself mm-hmm. that I will do that. And without it, it's easy to either lift, lift Israel up on a pedestal or lift our own nation up on a pedestal or whatever, but like even ourselves, you know, it's like how many regrets do I have of, of things I did as I, as a Christian, you know, and like, like I'm supposed to know better now, but God is faithful and he continues to move forward with his purpose and he continues to use us, which is both amazing and humbling. So where do we go from here, Peter? We've got this nation wandering out, getting the laws from the commands from the Lord, and then uh, eventually they're going to get to this promised land. What do you want to highlight yeah. from that whole narrative? Yeah, well, for the sake of this episode, for the sake of time, really just one thing. So, you know, God gives Moses the law and Moses gives the people the law. And so if you're reading your Bible linearly, this is the part in late January, early February, where you really get behind in your Bible reading plan, because it's really difficult to read for uh, most of us, you know, some of us sinners around here. But if you manage to power all the way through Joshua, the narrative picks back up. And so we'll pick up just this, this 
slight moment, this small moment in Joshua where they're about to inherit the promised land. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, but God reminds Joshua to remind the people how they got to this moment and where they're supposed to go from it. And so in Joshua chapter four, the Lord directs Joshua to set up these memorial stones. And Joshua says this in chapter four, verse 24. He did all these things. Actually, I'll pick it up in 23. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you had before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. So that is the Exodus, right? Verse 24. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. So as the Israelites are in the, in the outset of inheriting the promised land, and we'll talk more about that next time, how they, they really don't manage to do that very well in the course of the book of Joshua. But on the outset of this conquest of the promised land that God is giving them, Joshua reminds the people that we've been brought to this moment for the sake of two things, for the sake of us knowing that we ought to fear and obey the Lord and for the sake of all the nations of the earth, knowing that God is mighty to save, that he has made a covenant with his people, and by golly, he's going to execute it. He's going to deliver his people. And, you know, there's there's hope in that. There's hope for us as believers, and there's hope for those who are far from God, that God is in the process of fulfilling his covenant, fulfilling his plan, his will to reveal himself to all people. And Israel wasn't always cooperative. We aren't always cooperative, but we still see the plan of God moving forward through history. And that's pretty special. Yeah. And I love this where it says, you know, people, the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. You know, we're going to start to see that the word is going to, is starting to get out about this God. You know, the Egyptians saw it. Uh, these Canaanite nations are beginning to see it. And you just think about, you know, even fast forward in the New Testament where you have Ethiopian eunuchs coming to Jerusalem and getting scrolls of Isaiah, like we read in Acts, you know, how much impacted these sort of stories of God and what he did over the years, you know, have in, in drawing people to sort of set up the beginning of the, the church going forth. Um, so the word's getting out about this God. Yeah. Have you said this already? Like, what's the focal point of all these covenants? To me, I think the focal point is that recurring promise to bless the nations on behalf of the obedience, you know, for whoever the, the party is in the covenant. So to me, it all points to Jesus and points to how Jesus um you know, he is the better Noah, and he is the better Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's better than Moses. He is better than the law. He kept the law. For me, it all points, I think, culminates on the, the gospel, the man of Jesus. Yeah. Well, looking at the time here, fellas, should we, uh, we've still got a lot of Bible to cover. <laughs> I don't know how many episodes we're going to make here, but. This, this is good. I think it's good to just begin to look at sometimes we think that, 
missions started 20 years ago and we started sending short-term teams you know it's it's like god has been on a mission since the beginning since the fall and so we're part of a really cool thing that's been going on for centuries and centuries and we get to be a pretty unique part of that story you know these are unique moments obviously israel with what god's doing there but it's cool to see everything that's come before i think it can give us motivation for what's ahead and god's plans Peter, thanks for all your work, putting all this stuff together. Yeah, I'm excited. Time flies when we're having a good time. So it's been a great conversation. And thanks for sticking out with us listeners. So yeah, next time, it'll be fun to break down the law and look at what happens next in the story of, of Israel. But what were you going to say, James? Go ahead. I was going to say, and, and I just encourage you, if you're listening, go back and uh, read those scriptures and read those parts that we skipped over. And there's just a lot of great, great story of God's working in people's lives and in nations' lives as we go through there. Don't don't cheat yourself out by not going back and getting the full story. All righty. Well, gentlemen, grateful for you and look forward to the next one. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks.